Hey, it's time for a real advertisement because this episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anybody, anywhere in the world, invest in promising new startups with as little as $10. You may have that in your wallet right now. Go on over to republic.co and you can help crowdfund a startup becoming an angel investor in your own right. Go check it out at republic.co. Hello, and welcome to Converge, the tech podcast that now has actual sponsors. What is going on? My name is Casey Newton. I'm Silicon Valley editor of The Verge, and I'm so excited to bring you today's episode, which, if my calculations are correct, will print money for Vox Media. And it's appropriate that on a show that is now generating revenue, we have in the Converge guest chair today, Alexia Bonatzos, founder of Dream Machine, a promising new venture capital firm. Alexia is the former editor-in-chief of TechCrunch, and I have known her since those early blogging days, uh, and I think you're really going to love her appearance on the show. Uh, Alexia's family immigrated from Greece, where I just spent my summer vacation, and can I tell you real quick what happened on the island of Santorini as my friends and I sat down at a restaurant to have what was definitely the best Greek salad of my entire life. Well, a man comes up to me, asks if I'm Casey, and when I said yes, he told me he was a big fan of Converge. And it turned out this man, whose name is Michael, was in town from Arizona for his wedding, and he took time out of his rehearsal dinner to come say hello. So, Michael, congratulations on your marriage and for winning the game of love. You know, did listening to Converge have something to do with your success in life? Mm, I wouldn't rule it out, but congratulations to you and your fiance. And hey, speaking of very cool people in Greece, I actually got to see this week's guest, Alexia, while I was in Greece. She was in town for a startup event with her husband, Nico Bonatzos, who is himself a venture capitalist uh, at a company called General Catalyst. And the three of us talked about the kind of things that Alexia and I have been talking about since she was a humble tech blogger. You know, like, where is the tech industry falling short? What are the companies that make her hopeful about the future? And should we create an Airbnb for horses? It's a very good time. And with that, it's time to play Converge. It's time for another game of Converge, the game show that is easy to win, but not impossible to lose. Each week, we bring on some of Silicon Valley's most fascinating personalities, and they compete to see how high they can go on the all-time Converge leaderboard. My guest today is Alexia Bonatzos, founder of Dream Machine, a new venture capital fund that is making science fiction into nonfiction. At least, that's what Alexia told me. Before starting Dream Machine this year, Alexia was the editor-in-chief of TechCrunch. Alexia... Are you ready to invest everything you have into this episode of Converge? What if I just write a 25K check? Well, listen, we're <laughs> extremely open to that, but I have to tell you that bribing game show judges is a violation <laughs> of federal law, so I will have to decline your kind offer. With that, let's get started. Converge, of course, consists of three rounds, the big idea, the interview round, and the wild card round. And with that, I'm just going to keep saying, and with that, it's time to get started. The first game we play on every episode of Converge is The Big Idea. Alexia, I asked you ahead of time to bring me your biggest and best idea of a non-self-promotional nature, and we pick it apart to see what's inside. Points will be awarded on the basis of originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally agree with it. So, Alexia, what is your big idea? 
Well, my big my biggest ideas are all self-promotional. So I just wanted to know that you eliminated 99% of my ideas with that with that caveat. Completely fair. But of the of the ones that were left, uh, this is what I don't know if it's that big, but I've been mulling it over this week. It's super topical. I think we've gotten to a point in society where the tools that we've built are abstracting us, are dehumanizing us. I think we as a society are no longer following uh, some of the Enlightenment ideals, most prominently Kant's maxim that we treat people like subjects and not objects. So an end in and of themselves and not a means to an end. All right. I think a lot of our tech platforms in, in this you know, consolidation monopoly phase of tech, a lot of our tech platforms are treating people like a means and not an end. So, so you're seeing a lot of tech out there that is sort of seeing us as cogs in a, in a giant machine, and and in, and not people who have agency and and dreams and am, yeah, am I and getting closer? And blood in their veins. Yeah. Right. It's been like 16 years since I took freshman philosophy. So I'm, <laughs> I think I'm with you. But but keep driving it home. So, well, like, what kind of dehumanizing tech are you seeing out there? So, I think ad tech is by definition dehumanizing. I think if it just boils you down to to a series of clicks, right? Doesn't it, it, it's not like oh hey here's Alexia. It's oh hey here's a, a, a woman of a, of a certain age and a certain income, and let's see if we can sell her this pair of shoes. Sell her some ugly influencer. A puffy shirt on Instagram, right. or you know, yeah, they put you into a box and failed to realize that the the end purpose of your life is to not buy more tiny glasses or not buy more fit tea. <laughs> There's so much bad stuff on Instagram. Yeah. The, the end purpose of your life is to grow and to learn and to contribute to to your society and to to make life easier for other humans and perhaps animals, right. and so not to just buy stuff. I think I, you know, I'm very 90s in this way where I, I don't think becoming a brand and interacting with other brands is the, the right telos to a human human existence. I think Well, you then should, I'm going to have to change my entire approach to my own career. <laughs> so that's bad news for me. So you're seeing a lot Sorry of dehumanizing. Yeah, a lot of dehumanizing tech, ad tech. I know surveillance tech. You've also seen a lot of that. You're not excited about that. Yeah. So I, I actually think that in El- Eleanor Roosevelt's uh, international declaration of human rights, human right number 12 is the right to not have you, the right to privacy. The right to not have your your life transgressed, and I think a lot of the a lot of the computer vision tech and artificial intelligence tech that's uh, either state sponsored or state or or contracted out to the state eventually ends up transgressing your privacy and and interfering with your right to to live. Obviously, in the the way it's pitched or the way that that people talk about it is it's a public safety play. Yeah. But that's just a, a euphemism for surveillance. And so I I don't think we're going to live in a world where there's no surveillance. I think we really need at this point as it's a nascent tech I mean Pandora's box has already been open. I think as it's a nascent technology, we really need to think about the types of people building it and where their moral compass is and if they have a system of ethics behind the potential uses and applications of this tech. Right. Unfortunately, it's often very hard to tell right at the outset whether somebody has good ethics or bad or how they may change over the, the lifetime of their company. Okay, let's maybe flip it to the positive side. Like, Is there anything that you've seen recently that you have felt like is good humanizing technology, like technology that acknowledges that we, you know, we as people you know, are more than our, our income potential? 
So, I mean, there's the nonprofit and the for-profit aspect of this. The nonprofit aspect of this that I'm really enthusiastic about is a company called OpenMindPlatform.org. First of all, terrible name, but go yeah, on. Yeah, I know. That's what, this it is what you get in nonprofit yeah. in the nonprofit world. And this organization actually boils down human values to to five or six values, like uh, fairness, loyalty, freedom, uh, caring patriotism and tradition respect to authority and if you approach people not as republican or democrat not as a trump supporter or not not trump supporter and you actually try to see why they vote the way they vote and why they make the decisions the way they do this company's way of kind of boiling everything down to first principles allows you to get inside another human's perspective and so it's been a mir- it's been a miracle for me because I am very pro-immigration. And so when I, I'm, I'm a child of an immigrant, my husband's an immigrant, when I read about people trying to shut the doors to the U.S., which has been a beacon of light and hope for, for people around the globe for many reasons, I get like viscerally upset and, I, and my rationality is thrown out the window. And so this open mind platform it's like, no, 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 you have to see their point of view. The people who value fairness and who want more immigration reform, actually, some of them are doing it because there's a, a slew of people in line right. to come into the country, and they don't think that the people that cross the border are waiting in line. Right. And they just, that value of fairness is so strong in their hearts that they can't, they can't understand the caring about people or the, the freedom aspect of my value set. Sure. And now, so, so is this a technology, though? It sounds like a questionnaire. It's... <laughs> It's a framework. A framework. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you you want more? That's the nonprofit side. On the for profit side, there's two. So one more nonprofit side. I was recently in LA and I experienced a six minute VR film directed by Alexander Inaritu, who's the director of Birdman and of The Revenant and of Itumama Tambien. And that VR film actually puts you in the body of a migrant crossing the border from Mm. Mexico into Texas. And when you first go in, they put you in a really cold room. You have to take off your shoes. The room is littered with the shoes of actual migrants that were found in the desert, but, but like hundreds of them. And then you go into this, it's uncomfortable in this room. You're there for like 15, 20 minutes. To the point where you start to get scared. And then they take you into another room, which is all sand. They strap a VR headset on you, and you're all of a sudden ported to the border trying to cross with a migrant family. And there's children, there's grandmothers, there's mothers. And you are on the migrant side, and you get intercepted by Border Patrol. And they're not very nice. <laughs> and it, it is—many people actually break down in this, in this experience— it really affected me. One of the big problems in VR is you can actually pass through people. So you, like, that's how I know we're not in a simulation. If I try to pass through you, Casey, I, I couldn't. Your physical body's there. Right. Many guests have attempted to win <laughs> Converge by simply charging into me, and they have all fallen. So <laughs> that was do my not first make strategy. the same mistake. Um, so in this one, you could actually pass through people, and I did. I'm like, I wonder if this is possible. I did, and when you pass through them, you pass through their circulatory system, and you pass through their heart, and you can hear their heart beating. Wow. And at that point, after doing that, it's it's kind of physically, viscerally impossible to 
abstract them as as a statistic. Like, right. So so here's a piece of technology, and you you sort of you put on a, a headset, and you open up your eyes, and you're in someone else's body, and you're experiencing a world that, in all likelihood, you would never reach otherwise, and it it transforms your understanding of of other people, and maybe even yourself, right? Or, or maybe starts to change your mind about some some preconceptions you had. And you think that's more valuable to build than uh, ad tech for Facebook? Yeah, I, th- I have seen the best minds of men- my generation <laughs> destroyed by ad tech. Well, we always like to end the big idea round on a note of fear, and just kind of a <laughs> solemn resolve. That brings us to the end of the big idea round. Now it is time to score your idea. Well, listen, we've heard before that uh, that technology can dehumanize us. Uh, and so on the on the simple question of originality, I'm going to give you a six. Okay. Presentation. What I love about this idea is this is a deeply heartfelt thing. And not only are you you're clearly thinking about it, but you have the opportunity to take action on it as a venture capitalist now. So I'm going to give you a seven on that. Profit potential. Well, zero. Look, you started with, uh, with, with a non-profit, <laughs> which would be a zero. But then you did eventually bring it into the for-profit realm and, and talked about uh, maybe some virtual reality applications that can make some money. So I'm going to give you a seven there. And then finally, do I agree with it? Uh, yes, I'm going to give you a nine because I do think that a lot of the technology that we use doesn't uh, take us into account fully as human beings, and it should. I, I'm taking away uh, one point uh, because that framework that you described is still extremely confusing to me, but I'm going to visit <laughs> openmindmap.biz or, or whatever you said later. Uh, Dot gov. <laughs> slash promo code, and we'll see what's there. Uh, well, let's go ahead and add up the score. Uh, Alexia, I'm excited to say you earned 29 points. In the first round, putting you in a very good position as we head into the interview round. The round where you attempt to charm our listeners in a way that burnishes your personal brand and improves your standing as a thought leader. Alexia, you P- could public have, intellectual. That's the that's the idea. <laughs> My first question for you, you know, you could have done a lot of things after uh, after you left TechCrunch, but instead you went to business school at Stanford and you started a venture capital fund. So uh, why? Well, I do most things in life because I'm curious about what it's like to do them. And I, after writing about many venture capital firms and writing about many deals that got done, I'm like, what? And being a backseat driver in a lot of the, you know, formative years of at least the mobile age. I'm like, what if, what's it like to be a front, front seat driver? What's it like to actually have skin in the game and to not just be an observer or even a critic of a lot of the entrepreneurial activity around me? What's it like to really raise money because that's the first that's the first part of becoming a venture capitalist yes i mean not if not for everyone just if you want to have your own fun (laughs) (laughs) most people do not do not go the own fund route but you read again abstraction of humans you read like blah 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 raised 100 million at a 2 billion valuation and money stops becoming money it starts becoming just you know yeah yeah. you can't wrap your head around it Yeah. yeah so it it gets divorced from its actual Meaning the actual relationships aspect, the actual having to convince somebody that your idea is worth a hundred million dollars. Like I, I, I don't know about you, but before... no, I told my bosses. I said this podcast is worth a hundred million dollars, <laughs> and they said you can make twelve episodes. They said so. you could ICO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they said take it to the blockchain. Right. Um, yeah. No. It's it's very difficult to get the kind of trust that you need to get people to hand over any of their money, let alone 
millions of it or in in many cases billions of it it's difficult because you have to get them to believe in a future that you're creating and that whatever they're going to give you is going to come back at some multiple i did not understand the pain of this experience until i did it myself that's probably all i can say about fundraising but it's it's painful like it's not a it's not fun well i have i have another question about fundraising later but you know okay. you, so i was curious yeah. to see what it was like to raise money and to build your own thing Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who have worked at, at TechCrunch, sort of, you know, one of the industry's big uh, trade publications, covers every deal. And a lot of people who worked there did go on to work in, in venture capital in some way. Uh, people kind of joke about the TC to VC pipeline. So it sounds like you were thinking about it, even though, like, because, you, you know, you saw uh, colleagues like MD Siegler, you know, who's now at, at Google Ventures. Uh, like, you saw other people do this. Like, was that kind of an inspiration, or do you think it would have happened regardless just because, as you said, you were? Or tired of being an observer. Well, MG is definitely an inspiration. He seems <laughs> to like he's everyone. a good investor. He's cool. Yeah, he's, yeah. Cool. He's, he's cool. More than MG, though, somebody like Aileen Lee, I think, inspired me. I'm like, wow, you took your experience working for a larger fund and you decided to go on your own and you you built you know one of the first women-led seed VC funds with your own two hands. Having seen other people go this route, I definitely thought I could do it. Or at least that I wouldn't stink up the place. Like I, I'm like I could do this. I don't. I and if I can't, you know, I can't. But I wanted to have this experience in my life, and I thought that perhaps because I actually have tactical skills, that I could be the cliche value add VC. That that I could sit there and roll up my sleeves and help founders maybe avoid some of the pitfalls or maybe make the kind of mistakes that you learn from having seen ten thousand companies come through TechCrunch. Right. Well, so I was curious, like during that looking at 10,000 companies phase, were you thinking as you're meeting with these entrepreneurs, yep, this is going to be a big one or no, this thing is doomed. Like, were you sort of doing a lot of that in your mind? Because I did all the time. (laughs) Well, your gut is just a... It's just an algorithm that runs on so much data that you're not conscious of it. It's uh, it's actually a quantitative process that See, you See, now just... you're abstracting <laughs> us again. You're dehumanizing us. You're saying we're a bunch of data processing machines. Incredibly the, hypocritical. Your intuition is the ultimate data processing machine. Well, so, there's yes. The, there's the tagline for this episode. And I have a lot of machine learning from my experience in the, in the slush pile of the tips at TechCrunch. And so, yeah, I, a, a lot of it's gut. But gut isn't... It's not magical woo-woo dust. It's taking in data and information and eventually making a decision based on that. Was there a company that you met with earlier where you're like, this is going to be huge, and then it did, in fact, go on to be huge? I thought Uber would be huge. Yeah. But that's like in, in, in retrospect. But even at the stage when it was just like, spent $40. Instagram. Oh, Instagram yeah. was like, the early This is going to be you? big. Yeah. yeah. And it does seem like that's gotten pretty big now. <laughs> okay. Conversely, is there a company that you were convinced oh, was going to do yeah. well, but did not? Oh, yeah. Uh, many. Thousands. Uh, <laughs> Venmo. Venmo broke my heart, Casey. How so? It seems like Venmo's doing well. It's, it, But it could have been... It's like Instagram. It could have been bigger. It could have been a contender. <laughs> yeah. It could have been independent of PayPal. Of PayPal. Yeah. It could have eaten PayPal. It, it could have eaten PayPal. Stuff. Why didn't it? Oh, payments are hard. Yeah. Well, just, I think the security or the infrastructure around payments are hard. It was just yeah hard to build the rest of the thing. You know, I thought like I believed in the entire consumer productivity market. So like Evernote and the old like brand of Dropbox. It was just going to be a bunch of consumer. Like I thought everyone was going to be paying Dropbox ten dollars a month like for their email app and everything. I was completely wrong. Uh, 
But, you know, it is kind of fun to, to guess about these things. I mean, it's doing well as a public company. Again, this is yeah. why I wanted to be a VC. This, for if, if I had invested in Dropbox at the early stage, I would be yes. <laughs> elate, elated. It would have made my life. I don't, I, I right. would, it would be all, I would be wearing a Dropbox shirt right now. <laughs> this is what is so fun. It's like you can be wrong about a company and still uh, make millions off it. Like, I know, you know, a lot of people invested in Stuart Butterfield's company when it was a game, which was very unsuccessful, but then it turned into Slack and now it's very successful. And so now they all look very smart. When in reality, uh, they they made a bad bet that just turned out to be a good bet on accident. You just make people bets. That's mm, the gut. Bets. That's the gut algorithm thing going. And that's, that's the bet you made when you came on this podcast. Yeah, you I'm said like, this I'm is like, going to be good. Casey's going to be the next Dropbox. Heck yeah! All right, <laughs> or at so, least at least a box. You mentioned Aileen Lee building one of the first women-led venture capital uh, firms, and I want to talk about gender in venture capital because there are not nearly enough uh, women who uh, get to write checks, and I, I and so I have to imagine that that is because they've had a harder time raising money from. Big institutional investors, and so you know, can you say anything about how you confronted that and, and how hard it was? Well, so I have no counterfactual on the gender thing. I don't know. What if what if I was a guy and I would also have a hard time because my personality is so abrasive? I don't. You don't, you don't right, I would have a very hard time raising money. <laughs> but you have to look at the data. Like if if there's power and resources in a sector, and you see a skewed data set where there's six percent of women and four percent of men of color in a place where there's power and resources and and some people look at venture as a glamorous, it's not very glamorous. But when you see an, uh, an accumulation, just like in our government, when you see an accumulation of power and money and then there's limited distribution, distribution, you can't, you have to look at the numbers and be like, there's probably barriers to entry for women and women and men, or white women and women and men of color. There's probably something preventing them from being represented in the way that they're represented in the general population. That just, I mean, that's, that just makes sense to me. That's just science. <laughs> that's just science. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was hard. It was hard to raise venture capital. I'm sure it's hard for everybody, but I, I think because the culture is predominantly white and Asian male, that when you don't look like somebody who... Who they funded before? Who they maybe. funded before? It's harder for them to take a leap of faith. Yeah. Well, so I have this idea that uh, women are half the population, and so if you let half the population start companies, uh, you could probably find some ideas that hadn't been tried before, and some might be super profitable. Uh, agree or disagree? Agree. Oh, okay, cool. So is that maybe it would have been a loop gonna... if I had disagreed, right? It would, it would have been. It would have thrown <laughs> me for a huge loop. Does that enter? I mean, I'm sure you're willing to to write a check to any founder if they have a great idea. But to what extent do you uh, get excited about maybe taking risks on people who have also run into some of those same barriers that maybe you did when you were fundraising? To, I mean, to the utmost extent. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be a big a big thing. Yeah, I think you. things yeah. are changing, right? We certainly are hearing a lot more talk about it, which is the first step. Uh, but you know, one reason why I want to talk to you is because you're doing the danked thing, and you actually went out and you raised the money, and now Voted you have with the my money. Feet. Yeah, yeah, and so now you get to go do the thing. So it's exciting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm a work in progress, but I'm excited. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, have you started writing checks? Like, is this thing going? Yes, it's yeah. going. I have uh, invested in seven companies, Ooh. and uh, I can't talk about a lot of them. But one of them that I can talk about is True Story. And it is a, it's on the blockchain, your favorite. It is a token-based network that wants to validate claims. What sort of claims? Like, Converge is the best podcast I've ever heard. (laughs) Yes. True? Yes. Rating? True. Well, I think you're going to get, you need a consensus. (laughs) Mm, That's always the hard part. 
So no, what sort of claims are these? Is like, like, will this help me determine what's real news and fake news? I hope. I'm not going to speak for the founder, but I hope. I think. I think part of my uh, reason for investing was I think we're we're in a bad environment for truth. Yeah. We're it's you know truth has has uh, gone out the window as a value, and we have people in our administration actively just lying to the public and creating discord within our society. And so I'm hoping, and I think the internet contributes to this. We could talk about, this could have been in the big idea. The browser has flattened all information hierarchy. And so I invested in Preeti and in True Story, female founder, Mm -hmm. because I think there is an opportunity for someone to rebuild the information hierarchy. You know, like when you're verified on Twitter, you're like, oh, that person's probably... Something. Something. That's yeah. I mean, I have a verified badge. Where people see that, like, mm, probably something. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, they had to dismantle the entire program, and now they're rebuilding it because it turns out even Twitter never decided what verification meant. So, important work for sure. Hard problem. We'll see what happens. You know what that sound means? It's time for the lightning round. In the lightning round, your job is to answer as many of these questions as you can in sixty seconds. You're allowed to pass, but should you do so, you will forfeit the question. Let's put sixty seconds on the clock. What gets you more excited, a seed round or a Series A? Seed round. Who's the best venture capitalist most people haven't heard of? Oh, Rob Hayes from First Round. All right, Hintwater or Lacroix? Lacroix. I brought two. I brought one to here, and you guys had another one. Cro- Pre- coconut. Preferred flavor is coconut. Yep. Very good. What's a big secret that you've never told anyone that if they knew you were going to reveal it here, they would download this episode and rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts? That my middle name. Oh, never revealed anyone in your life. Can I have some time? No. Well, you're, you're already 30 seconds in. Oh, geez. I don't know. That I like dumb things on Netflix, like Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> so what, stupid. What's something that should definitely be on the blockchain? Bitcoin. <laughs> have you ever ridden a scooter around San Francisco? Yes, I have. Bird scooter or lime scooter? Bird scooter. Last show you finished on Netflix. Wild, wild country. Does it have to be Netflix or can I say Amazon? I said Netflix. Okay, wild, wild country. Well, guess what? Your answer two. didn't count because the time expired. And with that, we oh, come, that sucks. We come to the <laughs> end of the lightning round. You successfully answered eight questions. So Can we do that again? No, you can absolutely cannot do it again. This is exactly the sort of working the judges that contestants are increasingly trying to do because guests are incredibly competitive people. We are. We're very, t- I'm at like a type B plus. So a type I'm, B plus? I'm, I'm 100% sure I, I'm not even close to the top decile. I'm an O negative. Hey, it's time for another real advertisement because today's episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anybody anywhere in the world invest in promising new startups with as little as $10. It is a crowdfunding platform for startups, and if you go there, you too can become an angel investor. Did you know that on Republic, 45% of funds raised in 2017 went to female-founded companies and 25% went to African-American-founded companies? For the rest of the VC world, it was 12% female-founded companies and 2% African-American-founded companies. So if you want to invest in a different kind of startup, head on over to republic.co. This episode is brought to you by Mixed Green's new $26 salads. Have you ever bought a traditional mixed salad for $16 and said, damn, this feels cheap? Well, Mixed's new line of $26 salads will give you your money's worth and then some. Try the new summer salads featuring caviar, lobster, and three euro coins. Or just say, hey, make it cost $26, and your salad artist will add a fried egg produced by an organic, wild-caught California condor. 
Salad days are here again. Mixed. It's really expensive. This ad was fake. All right, now we come to the wild card round. In the wild card round, we reach into the Convergitron 5000 to play a game generated by some of the world's most sophisticated algorithms. Earlier today, we selected Startup Bubble. Now, in Startup Bubble, we will see before us two decks of cards. One deck has the name of famous tech companies, such as Netflix. The second has a series of random nouns and phrases, such as socks. You will select one card from each deck, instantly creating a new company, Netflix for socks. You must then pitch me this company as a viable business, and I will score you on four criteria. Originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally would be a customer. Then the tables will turn. I will select two cards and must pitch you a company. We will repeat this process until I tire of it. Do you have any questions? No. All right. Alexia has drawn two cards. What does they say? Airbnb for horses. Airbnb for horses. Very good, Alexia. I actually think this is a viable idea. That's great. <laughs> that That's how you win Startup Bubble. So pitch me this business. Have you ever wanted to ride a horse? Have I? But not had a horse? A hundred percent of the time. <laughs> and you know what? There's a bunch of horses across the U.S. and perhaps even globally that are just looking for somebody to ride them. That could be you. Wow. So how would this business work? Well, you build a platform. A where- barn, you mean? <laughs> No, it's an online platform where people could upload pictures of their horses, maybe even have a trust score, like Uh a horse a horse score. What goes into a horse trust score? Not kicking you, not Mm -hmm. fucking, Mm -hmm. not uh, relieving themselves while you're on them. All good things. Personality. Mm -hmm. How congenial the horse is. I love a congenial horse. Who doesn't? So I'm actually pretty sure that there's horses in barns Uh all over America that just need a Casey to ride them. That, That they're sitting there unloved and just want to be taken out for a drive. Right. I mean, it's, it's like sort of with, you know, they say most cars go undriven 90% of the time. I bet most horses go unridden a similar amount of the time, if not more. Yes. It's it's like a simple yield management problem. Right. So what if there was a way to take the latent supply of horses and actually match it to consumer demand? That seems like that you could maybe make some money doing that. Now, here's a question. What happens if a horse goes limp? Would you require the guest to take the horse out back and shoot it? Would, it, like, would that be a requirement you'd put on the guest? If your Airbnb isn't up to snuff, do you burn it down? I mean, certainly I've thought about <laughs> no, it. No, definitely not. We will definitely no? not require okay. the guest to kill the horse. <laughs> that's good. That's what I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I asked because you never know. Are any good names for this this company horse coming power. to my horsepower? <laughs> that's fantastic. There you go. Somebody is going to pitch. Somebody is going to get funded for this company now. All right, that was. I have no further questions. That was an incredibly convincing pitch. Uh, I am now. Now the tables turned, and now I must pitch you a company. Wait, now move those cards out because I don't want to okay. pitch you. I don't want to pick your cards. Okay. All right. I must now pitch you Theranos for the blockchain. You got the blockchain. I got the blockchain card. <laughs> so of course, in Startup Bubble, every deck contains the word blockchain, and if you are unfortunate enough to draw that card, you must put whatever the other card is on the blockchain. I must now put Theranos on the blockchain. This was inevitable. Wow, (laughs) this is hard. So Theranos, of course, started out with a simple and beautiful idea, which is what if from just one tiny drop of blood, you could run an evaluation of someone's entire medical history, test them for any disease, you know, diagnose any problem they might have. But as we saw recently, that company ran into some troubles. 
uh, because one, their technology didn't work, and two, it was not on the blockchain. And so here's where I think Theranos on the blockchain could really help. You know, think about what it used to take to be a, th- a customer of Theranos. You would have to go into a Walgreens, and they would tell you that the machine was broken, and so they just had to draw your blood the old-fashioned way. And then they would like mail a sample back to California, and then like 18 weeks later, they would tell you that you tested positive for a bunch of diseases <laughs> that you didn't actually have. And so that's where the blockchain comes into play, <laughs> because the blockchain is all about trust, right? And it's about verified transactions. So if there was a, a, a Theranos-based blockchain solution, you'd be able to log on to your your Theranos wallet. And you'd be able to see where your blood was at every step of the process. And there would see be a universal, I would call it a blood chain. There'd be a blood chain that would sort of uh, be able to tell you, you know, your entire medical history. It's really like electronic medical records is what we're getting down to here, right? Is, uh, you know, every time you walk into the doctor's office, you still have to write down, you know, here's my name, here's my birthday, here's my address. You put Theranos on the blockchain, all of a sudden... I've got a wallet that has all my blood in it, all my medical history in it, and I can walk into that Walgreens and be like, oh, hey, Casey, it's you. Uh, you have so much potassium in your system that you should have died 16 years ago. I'll say, <laughs> that's not true. And they'll be like, I know, it's Theranos. <laughs> How am I doing on this pitch so far? Well, I, I'm not, it's not clear to me why this needs to be on the blockchain. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> of course it needs to be on the blockchain. Why can't you just use a normal database? <laughs> you know, Alexia, we get this question a lot. Uh, we face a lot of skepticism when we tell people we're going to put Theranos on the blockchain. So, you know, I'm not the first person, you know, you're, you're not the first person to uh, throw cold water on this idea. You know, look, here's what I would say to you. We saw what happened with Theranos when it wasn't on the blockchain, right? So that tells me maybe it's time to try a different approach. So if you want to sit in that chair and tell me that we should just do Theranos like Elizabeth Holmes did it, that's a pretty hot take. I say put it on the blockchain and let a universally net, you know, a networked series of people determine whether or not I have too much potassium in my bloodstream. Sounds like you've been taking too many potassium supplements and you're concerned about it. I am incredibly high on potassium right now. I ate 64 bananas in preparation for this interview today. Great. It shows. Let's do one more round. Go ahead and draw two more cards. Because you were so good at the first one, and I want to see if it's a fluke. Facebook for clowns is your new pitch, and I'm excited to hear this one. Okay. Facebook <laughs> sold your data. Wow, okay. Breaking news. Actually, to, no, wait, we have, to, we wait, have to stop. Facebook allowed Cambridge Analytica to sell your data. Because Facebook does not sell your data, but but yes, but, but Facebook uh, gave away some data through an API, and to, people were informed, but yeah, but Cambridge Analytica got a hold of it illicitly. Yeah, to some unsavory characters. Yeah. If you're a clown, what's more valuable to you than your personal private clown or non-clown data. That's very true. Also, by the way, when Alexia said, if you're a clown, she looked me dead in the (laughs) eye because she thinks I'm a clown. But okay, so go on. So yeah, if if you're a clown, you want to protect your private information. There is a level of trust within the clown community. Like, clown recognizes clown. (laughs) What if you could just take the joy and the trust and the collaboration involved in being a clown and use that trust perhaps on the blockchain use that trust to build a new network where it's just you and your fellow clowns and you know that that your 
baby pictures and your pictures of lattes and your pictures of your big shoes and your big red nose. They will just stay between you and the other clowns and not the Russians. This is an interesting idea. You know, something else I would point out, you know, on Facebook, you have to use your real name. And so clowns may actually not want to use Facebook because they actually can't, right? They have to, you know, be Bill Jablonski and not Bozo. So Facebook for clowns, they can actually be their whole selves. It sounds like you're, you want to invest. Uh, yeah. What are, what, yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> the like terms. you're aligned. I'm, I'm very aligned. I'm very interested in this business. What, what do you think some of the features would be of Facebook for clowns? Facebook for clowns. Let's see. Well, you've already said... You can use your clown name instead of your real name. That's probably selling point number one, yeah. You could probably... That, I mean, I, that's probably it. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, this is one, one selling point. What is your clown name, by the way? Um, little Abstraction. <laughs> that's incredibly catchy. Kids are going to love it. All right, I'm going to... Final round of Startup Bubble. Let me just pick a couple cards. And I'm going to pitch Stitch Fix for Farmers. All right, this is great. So... Stitch Fix, if you're not familiar, it's some sort of online clothing business where a stylist works with you and figures out your style and then sends you like a, a sack full of clothes whenever you want or like once a month. I think they have different plans, but there's only one problem. What if you're a farmer? Farmers have a very specific style, and I'm just going to say it. Stitch Fix is not well-equipped to handle it. Go on there right now, and you try to find me a decent pair of overalls, a nice pitchfork, a flannel shirt. I don't think so. They don't care about you. They don't care about your family. So that's why we need Stitch Fix for farmers. I call it Farm Fix. Nope, I call it Stitch Farm, and here's (laughs) how it works. As a farmer, you log on via your mobile device. That's the other thing. This is a uniquely mobile company because... Farmers didn't have a lot of iMacs, you know, sitting around the barn. Uh, They had to wait until they got cellular connectivity so they could even have a face-to-face style confrontation with a farm fashion expert. And once they do that, you'd be like, oh, okay, Mm, I think you're probably a large in overalls and probably a large flannel shirt and probably a medium pitchfork. And then put it all together and it ta- here's the great part. It takes the guesswork out of it, right? You're a farmer. You were up before dawn. You milked the cows. You got the chicken eggs. You did all these farm-related things. Then, you know, it's lunchtime. And what, you're supposed to think about fashion? No. You want to look good in the field? Build your personal farm brand? Got to go over. Go on, go on over. Overall, to Stitch Farm. Stitch Farm. To Stitch Farm. What do you think the turnover is in a farmer wardrobe? I think it is very high. And here's what. One word. Manure. You try to do your job as a farmer without just getting covered in animal droppings. It's not going to happen. They they work those clothes hard. And, and I don't care how tough you build them. They're going to be dirty at the end of it. And that's the other thing. As a farmer, how much time do you think I want to spend doing laundry? Particularly, think about a single farmer, right? They got, they got to do all their, their chores out in the field. They got to come back. They got to do their chores at home. No, they're not going to be wasting their time with laundry. And that's why this is a great business. This is a daily usage business, right? Once a day, I'm going to get a fresh set of clothes. I go out in the field. I ruin them, throw them away. I don't care. I got a fresh shipment coming in tomorrow. Farmpix.com. I don't think I think it's hard to solve the last. First of all, I think this is really niche, Thank and then you. the last really <laughs> niche. Wow, savage. Okay, continue. It's too early. <laughs> you think I'm too early to the farm clothing mat market? Well, what I would like to know is what do you think is the inflection point for this business? I think uh, we'd probably need to return to an agrarian society, <laughs> which and we're well on our way. Keep those nuclear weapons coming. All right, and and then we'll be there. Very good. 
If you heard that sound, that means we've come to the end of Startup Bubble, and it is time now for scores. Listen, uh, you did a fantastic job. Uh, originality, I'm giving you a nine. I thought you have very good ideas, particularly for Airbnb, for horses. You sold the heck out of that. Uh, left me with basically no questions. Presentation was a 10. You had a lot of energy. You didn't even blink. You knew exactly what the pitch was as soon as you heard the words. Profit potential. The bad news is I gave you terrible businesses, so I can only, I think, give you a seven for that. Would I? We per- sell ads, sir. Oh, well, that's something. <laughs> Now, would I personally be a customer? Airbnb for horses? Yes. Yes. Space for, for clowns? Also yes. I'll give you a 10. So, now you must score me. And feel free to tell me what you really think about hurt my feelings. Okay. So, wait. Originality. T- tell me your stuff again. Of course. I had Theranos for the blockchain. Okay. <laughs> and I had Stitch Fix for... Farmers. Farmers. Okay. So, Theranos for the blockchain. Yeah. You can just say How it's do, a really good I, business. Where do I even start? Yeah. <laughs> The comps are so bad. The, the bad comps. It's yeah, like bad you comps. don't. It's like I think it's again too early. Just too like early, it's too Stitch early. Fix for farmers. Yeah. It's too, I, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find any VC fund or family office or even even like a right. Bitcoin billionaire. This is the dumbest of money. You need <laughs> if dumb money had a concussion, <laughs> they would invest in this business. All right. So what do All I right. get? Uh, score me on originality. Originality. I mean. You know what? I'm going to give you a nine. Yes. <laughs> very good. Presentation? Also nine. High energy. Oh, very good. Profit potential? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Okay, great. You don't think I can make one dollar on this investment? How, how would you sell this to consumers? Would you have to go, would you do commercials like Facebook yes. and Uber and be like, we, kn- we know we lost your trust with Theranos. <laughs> And we're bringing it back with, <laughs> with the blockchain. With the blockchain. Yeah. You great. would get your revenue would be zero or even maybe maybe like a negative. Like all the people defrauded by Theranos would sue you. <laughs> yeah, I could get into a lot of trouble. All right. So profit potential zero. And would you personally be a customer? No. <laughs> so we'll put me down for zero there. So that brings me to 18 points. And uh, now we tally the final scores. Alexia, you scored 73 points today on Converge, and I scored 18 points. And that means that Alexia Venazos, you are the winner of today's episode of Converge. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you have any parting words of inspiration you would like to leave with Silicon Valley and the world at large? Stay hungry, stay foolish. I love it. Alexia, thank you for making content with me. Thank you for making content with me, Casey. Let's do it again sometime. That's today's show. My thanks to Alexia Bonatzos, a.k.a. The Young VC. Alexia, while you may have bested me today, my Theranos for the blockchain project is now fully underway, and I will not be offering you a term sheet. Thanks to my engineers, Jeremy Damas and my editor, Andrew Marino. If you like today's show, hey, could you tell someone about it? We are coming up on the last few episodes of our first season. And if you'd like to hear more Converge in the future, we could really use the support. How's the show going so far? I want to hear from you. Thanks to everyone who sends emails to Casey at TheVerge.com. 
including Rohan Crane, who emailed me, quote, there's no better podcast as fun or informative about the world of tech as Converge. Thank you for making such a great show. Hey, thank you, Rohan. That made my day. I'm Casey Newton on Twitter, and you can tweet about the show using the hashtag Benghazi. And if you want even more of me in your life, I read a daily newsletter about social networks and democracy called The Interface. You can find the link at my Twitter bio. Oh, and hey, do you read The Verge and wish that it were maybe a little bit better? Do you have some ideas? We're doing an audience survey. You can go check that out right now at theverge.com slash survey. And hey, maybe you can tell them uh, you like the podcast. So that's all I've got this week. Until next time, the Convergitron 5000 is closed. Game over. This episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anybody anywhere in the world invest in promising new startups with as little as $10. You may have that in your wallet right now. Go on over to republic.co and you can help crowdfund a startup becoming an angel investor in your own right. Republic believes talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. Go check it out at republic.co.